Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. This morning I'd like to invite each and every one of us to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 13, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We've been talking about divine love, agape love, the love of God, and, and that it never fails. This is lesson six. Let me just say that we believe that agape love will never fail when it comes to enabling us to fulfill the commandments and the laws of God. Agape love will never fail to enable us to fulfill the commandments and the laws of God. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore, now underline it, love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law, and he did that, how? By being motivated, totally controlled, led, guided, directed by the love of God. Our Father, we thank you for your word and for knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. Thank you for the anointing upon our ears to accurately hear our hearts to be open, our minds to be receptive as we yield ourselves as an act of our will to the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word in demonstration of the spirit of power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So agape love never fails. It will never fail to enable us to fulfill the law. As you can see here, that love, divine love, is the fulfilling of the law. You say, why is that important? Well, put your bookmarker there. We'll be coming back there a little bit later. But go on with me quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 7. We want to look at some scriptures, share some truths. I have a desire to get all this in, so I'm going to go a little bit quick today, if you don't mind. Is that all right? Put in the second gear and just keep right on going from there. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. What we want to do is inspire each other to, to walk in divine love, to begin its practice, to motivate one another, of course, to be led by love, directed by love, to be love-guided. And we're saying that if we will commit ourselves to the practice of divine love, certain things will happen. We've talked about many things. Here we see that love will enable us to, to fulfill the laws and the commandments of God. Why is that important? Well, let's read verse 9, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. Love enables us to love him, his love, divine love, as we should. 
love him and keep his commandments. Now notice he keeps his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But now notice this in verse 10. And repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not slack to, to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore shall come to pass if you hearken uh, to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord thy God shall keep, the, uh, the, keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers and he will love you. Verse 13, Deuteronomy 7. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, and thy corn, thy wine, thy oil, thy increase of thy kind, thy flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he swore unto your fathers to give it, you shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil the diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will live upon them that hate him. And so we see just by reading here that if a person chooses to set his love upon God to walk in the realm of love, he will keep the commandments of God. And in obedience to the commandments of God, we have many manifold blessings of God that we can expect to receive from God. And of course, just named among them, we see prosperity here. We see fertility here. We see productivity here. We see protection here, freedom from sickness here, and all kinds of, uh, of blessings untold and, and provisions that he says, I'll provide for you if you will just practice my love and walk in my love and keep my commandments. So we see here that practicing love or, or committing ourselves to its practice and, and walking in that realm is really truly expressing our love for God because as we walk in the realm of love, we keep His commandments and, and we know that when we keep His commandments, it's because we love Him and we know that when we love Him, we keep His commandments and they go hand in hand. You can't say, I can do one without the other. That, that has to be understood. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we'll see something here. In verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee, this day shall be in thine heart. And let's just stop there. Keep that in mind and, and turn to uh, Luke 10, verse 27. Luke 10, verse 27. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It's, it's reiterated here in Luke 10, verse 27. A certain lawyer came to Jesus, tempted him, and asked him what he had to do to, to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? What's in the law of God? Well, how does it read? And in verse 27, he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. See, when Jesus came into the, into the world, he brought the dimension of God's love with him. And that dimension of God's love that he brought with him enables us to love God as God truly wants to be loved by his children. The commandment said that if we love him, all these things would be ours. And we are to love him with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, with our might, with every department of our being, with every fiber of our being, we are to love God. But you see, they couldn't love him that way because to love God with your whole heart is to love God with your spirit. To love God with your spirit is, is hard to do when your spirit man is dead. 
So when Jesus came and brought eternal life and brought the love of the Father, he brought the love that enables us to love God as God wants us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our might. And he also brought the love that would put an end to all hatred in the world that exists between people. Can you imagine every person upon the face of the earth being born again, entering into the realm of God's love, and then loving his neighbor as he loves himself? That would put an end to all hatred, wouldn't it? That would be responsible for bringing total peace to the world. Well, you know, beloved, we're looking for a day when the Prince of Peace does come and return and absolutely wipes out all, all hatred and everything else that's in the world that belongs to selfishness and sets up his kingdom and there's only going to be righteousness, truth, and holiness, and peace that's allowed to dwell in that place. And God's love will reign, will reign with him, and there will not be anything upon the face of the earth that would cause hatred to develop among people. That day is going, going to come. But you know what? That day should exist right now in the body of Christ. I said that day should exist right now in the body of Christ. It should exist between a man and his wife if they are born again and are married. It should exist in that household, in that home. It should exist in the local church. It should exist in the entirety of the body of Christ right now. If everybody in the body of Christ was, would be committed to the divine love of God, we'd have perfect peace and harmony. And you know what? That's the commandment. That he, that he gave us to love one another, to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. Well, I want you to see something here. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14, and verse 21. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, then the Bible says the love of God has been shed abroad where? And how does God, where does God want us to love Him from? From our whole heart. And where has the love of God been shed abroad? By the Spirit of God who's been given to us. It's shed abroad within our hearts. So you see, we have the love of God within us. That means having the love of God, we have the divine potential to love one another as He loved us. And if we are not committing ourselves to the practice of divine love and loving one another as He loves us, and of course loving Him as He wants love, and, and of course loving our neighbors, ourselves, and loving our enemies, then you see, we're not committed to the fulfillment of God's laws and commandments in His plan. And if we're not committed to the fulfillment of God's plan, His commandment, and His laws, you know what? He said, if you don't do it, then all the things we talked about back there in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God's not responsible or obligated to cause those things to happen in our lives. Did you know that? He said, because a person such as love upon me, I'll keep mercy and, and covenant with him. And he says, I'll do all these things and I'll place my love upon him in, in an outward way, in an outward show, in an outward demonstration or display of my love, and all these things, you see, he'll benefit from. If he, does, if he does not do that, he says, I'll repay that person to his face. And so, you see, beloved, even though we become the children of God, we are the children of God, we have to recognize that we are bound by the commandment to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our might, our everything, everything we have. And then, of course, we are also commanded to love one another as he has loved us. Do you see that? And no one is exempt from it. Each and every one of us has a responsibility to do so. Well, he has given us to love to do it with. The Bible says that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us 
and that's 1 John 4, 19. We love God because He first loved us, and we love one another as He loved us because we love Him and are committed to keeping His commandments. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that we have because He first loved us. We love one another as He loved us because we are committed to that love. We keep His commandments. Look at John 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not a scare. Lord, how is it you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said, If a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him and will come unto him and make her abode with him. Now notice verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. How do we determine whether or not we love God, whether or not we are showing love to God? He says, you can't say that you love me, yet you keep not my sayings or my commandments. You can't say to people that you love God, and yet you are in willful disobedience to His laws and commandments. Because you see, God's love, or, or let's say our love for God, can only be seen as we keep His commandments. Love has to be seen. Love means action. We love God by doing certain things. Not only do we accept His plan, but also we love one another. The Bible says that we have passed out of death unto life. Why? Do we know that? Or how do we know that? Because we love the brethren. Because we have an active love for the people of God. We love one another as He loves us because this overwhelming love that's been shed abroad in our hearts just, just causes us to, to be in love with one another as God is in love with us. We understand and know that we pass out from death, out of death, into the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And if we don't have that love, then we're only deceiving ourselves. If we have any animosity, bitterness, hatred in our heart towards any person, what is he saying? How can the love of God then dwell inside that person? That person is abiding in death or he's walking in darkness and he knows not whither he goeth. So you see, beloved, here we see how we can understand and know whether or not we are in life, out of death, walking in the light. Because we have absolute love toward one another. And if we are not loving one another as He has loved us, He says, you're walking in darkness, and the road that you're on is a wrong road. It's a road that will lead to destruction. You don't know where you're heading, and you don't know where you're going. So here's how we can check ourselves to determine whether or not we truly are in the faith. Or truly, you know, we are walking with Him as we should be walking with Him. And that we are truly are in a position to benefit from all the provisions of God. How? By loving one another. Loving Him as He loved, loving Him because He loves us, and loving one another as He loves us because we are committed to its practice. Now, that's what he said, and of course we can't change it. And he says, anybody who does not keep my saying or keep my word, then no matter how many times that person says he loves me, he does not love me. And Jesus says, and I'm not saying that, my Father said it. Look at verse 24 again. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. In other words, the Father God, before he sent Jesus, said, I want you to tell the people down there on the earth that if they don't keep my sayings or walk in my commandments, then they don't love me. And so that's what Jesus just told us. He says, I'm not saying it. This is my father said it. I just came to expose his heart to you. So you see, beloved, he has given us love so that we can love him, first and foremost. He has given us love, his love, divine love, so that we can love one another, which is his commandment. And love works no ill to his neighbor. What does love do? It fulfills the laws and the commandments of God. 
Now, I want you to go back to Exodus real quick with me in chapter 20, and let's look at that. Love enables us to keep the commandment of God. And when we walk in love, we are keeping the commandments of God. Love enables us to fulfill the laws of the commandments of God, and that includes the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. Jesus did not say, I came to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And anyone who walks in the realm of love will likewise fulfill the Mosaic Law and keep the Ten Commandments. In verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, God spake all these what? Words saying. He said, He that keeps my sayings, he that keeps my words, he it is that what? Loveth me. Whoso loveth me not is the one who does not keep my sayings or hear my words. Then you don't love me. That's pretty cut and dry. That's pretty black and white, isn't it? If you keep my sayings, you love me. If you don't, you don't love me. Why call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and do not those things which I say? A wise man is a man who lays the foundation of his life upon solid ground, hearing my words and doing my words. That's the one that really loves God. But the one who says, I love God, I love him, and he is my Lord, but does not hear his sayings or keep his commandments, he's one who is building his life upon sandy ground, whose life will be shattered and destroyed when the storms of life come and beat vehemently upon his house, which is the house of his life. Verse 2, I am the Lord thy God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You cannot separate the two. If you love God, you keep His commandments, you hear His sayings, you do His word. If you do not love God, you will not keep His commandments, no matter how hard we try to say that we love God. Verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And although many do, they're not going to be held guiltless, and you can be assured of that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. The seventh is a Sabbath unto the Lord, and, you, and, and we know all that. In six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that. Seventh day he rested. Look at verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be prolonged upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Many will not have long life because they fail to keep this commandment of God to obey their parents in the Lord, which is right, that has a, that has a, is a commandment with what? With a promise to it. Look at the next one. Verse 13. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against him, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, his, his wife, his manservant, nor his maidservant, his ox, his ass, or anything that is his neighbor's. Anything that is his neighbor's. Anything that is his neighbor's. Okay, now go back to Romans chapter 13. Thou shalt not covet any of those things. These are, of course, what has been termed as, as the Ten Commandments, but there are a lot of commandments of God. But these, specifically, the Ten Commandments that have been given to Moses, were given to Moses for the Israelites to keep, they could not keep them because their hearts were not right with God, and God knew that. But He had to reach their heart by dealing with their flesh to expose their iniquity, to expose their sin, so they could recognize that they were unworthy to be in the presence of the Most High God in their present state or their present condition. 
He reaches their heart, of course, and, and shows them their wrongdoing. The Old Covenant was the ministry of condemnation and guilt. These are the laws, the statutes, the commandments of God that they could not keep, and they, under, they understood that and didn't know what to do about it. Well, thanks be unto God that Jesus, since that time, has come. He has fulfilled the law by love, of course, walking in the realm of love. And now He tells you and He tells me, verse 9, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, still, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt, and these are commandments, remember something, this is not something he's asking us to do, this is something he's saying it would be nice for us to do, these are the commandments of the Most High God, and Jesus said, he that loveth me, keepeth my commandment, he that loveth me not, does not keep my commandment, look what it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. To be right with God is to be right with man. To be right with man is to be right with God. We cannot hold anything in our hearts against any person. We must love one another as he has loved us if we want to keep the commandment of God and be in a position to receive the benefits of his provisions. It's so important, beloved. But this is what love will do. It will ha ha enable us to have a change of heart attitude toward God. We will want to love Him with every department of our being. To love Him with our spirit. To love Him with our soul. To love Him with our mind. To love Him with our strength. To yield our bodies and faculty members unto Him as instruments of righteousness for the purpose of carrying out His plan, His purpose, and His will. Recognizing we are not ourselves. We belong to God. We belong to Him. We glorify Him in our body. We glorify Him in our spirit because we belong to a loving, living God and our love has been set upon Him to keep His commandments and to do His will. And beloved, when we do that initially, He will pour forth His love in us in such a way that we will be able to love the unlovely, to be merciful to the, to the merciless, and just to, to love mankind as He has loved us. We'll experience, you see, that kind of love within our hearts. And no matter what people do, we'll be able to love them as He has loved us. And once again, all the benefits that we reap are because we walk in that realm of love. Now go quickly to Proverbs chapter 6. Look at verse 30. If we love, then we will not commit adultery. If we love, we will not steal. If we love, we will not kill. And for those of you that already took a, a glimpse at the bulletin, you read the bulletin, I'll, I'll just uh, expound on that just for a moment. Very often I'm asked the question, will God forgive somebody who kills? Will God forgive somebody who commits adultery? Will God forgive somebody... Who steals? Will God forgive somebody who gets a divorce and all these things? And obviously, God forgives and none of these things are the unpardonable sin or what we would call the sin unto death, what the Bible terms as being the sin unto death. But beloved, we have to recognize that loving God with our whole heart means that we love God with pure motives that we love God with a correct or proper intent and that we love Him with right purposes. When we love God from the heart, loving Him from our spirit means loving Him with right heart attitudes and motives, with proper or correct intent and right purposes. See, 
very often what people will do, they'll ask the question and say, well, will God forgive me if I rob a bank? Well, they want to know whether or not they can be forgiven because next week they're robbing a bank. And of course, the answer to the question is obvious that if a person, after he robs the bank and asks for forgiveness by, because he's truly repented or she's truly repented, well, obviously God will forgive that person. But you know what? The question should not be, will God forgive a person for robbing a bank, committing adultery, or, or murdering somebody and all those things, getting a divorce or whatever the case is. That's not the question. The question is, does a person love God with his heart? You see, the thing that takes us out of fellowship with God is not the act, it is the intent, the purpose, the attitude, and the motive of the heart. Our fellowship and relationship with God is a spiritual something, not a physical something. And the thing that is wrong is the attitude, the intent, the purpose, and the motive of a person's heart, his spirit nature. And if a person can ask that question before he robs the bank, then the problem is, of course, if he intends on robbing that bank, is the fact that his heart motive is wrong, his purpose is wrong, his intentions are wrong, and those things on the inside are wrong, and that person's out of fellowship with the living God. He does not love, she does not love God from his or her heart, the spirit. And we are commanded to love God from our heart with our spirit. Once the act is committed, you see, they're out of fellowship with God before the act is committed. They're out of fellowship with God while the act is being committed. They're out of fellowship with God after the act is committed. And because true repentance probably is, 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 is never, you know, made, they're going to be out of fellowship with God for a long period of time because the attitude, the motive, and the intent of the heart is not easily changed, especially when we violate certain laws of God. We violate the will of God. The problem is not the act. The problem is the intent of the heart, the spirit, the man on the inside, the motive, the purpose, the intention. Do you see that? And so God says, I want you to love me with all your heart. Now, let me show you something here. Loving God with our minds involves loving him with our affections, putting our affections upon him and him alone. Look at verse 30. Putting God first in our affections, having our soul engulfed in God's love, and keeping our, our affections, our minds, our, our souls pure, from any sinful pleasure. In verse 30, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul. One of the commandments is what? Thou shalt not steal. But man does not despise him if he steals because he's hungry to satisfy his what? His soul. But now notice this. If he be found he's going to restore sevenfold, he'll give all his substance to his house. We have to make restitution and give back. But now notice the next verse. But whoso committeth adultery with the woman lacketh heart. But whoso, what, another one of the commandments is thou shalt not commit what? Thou shalt not commit what? What does he lack? Heart. He lacks heart. There's a lacking within the heart. See, in the Old Testament, they defined adultery as the act of adultery. You actually had sexual intercourse with someone who was not your wife or your husband. That is called the act of adultery. Jesus in a more strict way, defines adultery as being an attitude of the heart. If you lust in your heart towards someone, 
towards another person, male or female, then you have actually committed the act of adultery where? From your heart. The New Testament deals with the heart of man. The Old Testament dealt with the physical part of man. Under the New Testament, God deals with our spirit man, the man on the inside. To love God from our heart, you see, and put our heart attitude and motive right in, in, in line with His and with our affections means that we're going to set ourselves upon Him, set our affections upon Him, and we're not going to allow sinful pleasures to come into our thinking faculties that we're going to finally or eventually just go out there and commit. It's, there's a difference between the Old and the New Testament. But listen, I want you to see what it says concerning committing adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. A person won't do it if he loves God and if he loves his neighbor as himself. That's what the Bible teaches us. But look at this. Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh heart or understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own what? Destroyeth. See, to love God with our soul. It is not just the fact that he has committed or she has committed adultery. The very act itself means the person's soul is not in harmony with God and that person's not loving God with his or her soul. And because of it, the soul does not have vital contact with God. And because of it, corruption then will come and destroy that person's soul. That's why sexual sins opens us up to all kinds of demonic activity and bringing corruption to our, our, our minds, our mental faculties, our thinking faculties. That's exactly what it will do. And it's because the person lacks heart. Something on the inside. Because something is missing on the inside, that person will commit adultery, which God said thou shalt not commit adultery. And even though that person does commit adultery, it's not keeping his commandment because he lacks heart. And when you lack heart, it destroys the soul by, by fulfilling that act. It destroys the soul. It puts that person in a position to have a reprobate mind. And when that happens, corruption takes place. Destruction takes place. And let's read on. He destroys his own soul. A wound and a dishonor will he get. His reproach shall not be wiped away. Jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore not spurn day of vengeance. He'll not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Notice, it's not just the act that needs to be forgiven when a person does that. First of all, the person that you sinned against, that person's not going to forgive you. As far as God is, is concerned, he's saying right here, an unregenerate man will hate you. An unregenerate man will have a rage about you and you could take all kinds of money out of your pocket. You can give all kinds of gifts. That person will not be satisfied because you can't repay that way. You did not love your neighbor as yourself. You did not love as God has said to love. You have violated the commandment of God. You've committed adultery. The fact is not whether or not God will forgive it. The, the, the fact is this. Your heart was wrong with God before you did it. Your heart is wrong with God while you're doing it. You're wrong toward God after you've done it. And until that person experiences genuine, heartfelt, deep repentance, which, cause, which causes a, a course of action to be altered and to be changed, until that happens, if it can happen, because if a person's soul is destroyed, he may go on with a reprobate mind and never think, you see, about loving God with his soul or her soul. If that happens, a person endangers his eternal destination. Sexual immorality, we talked about the sexual sins. What does it do? It destroys the body, corrupts the mind, and its ultimate purpose is to do what? Alienate the spirit from God. That, that's internal damnation. It talks about alienation of the spirit. Satan has his ways, and that's part of it. God didn't say, thou shalt not commit adultery because he didn't want you to have more than one uh, person out there. No. 
He knew the result. He knew what it would do. And that's why he says it. So you see, beloved, it's not the matter. Loving God with our spirit, man, means our heart, attitudes, motives are right in keeping his commandments and setting our heart on him. Loving him with our soul means keeping sin out of our, uh, the pleasures of sin out of our thought life, out of our, our, our mental life, and, and running from it, fleeing from it as in terror. Setting our affections upon him and, and channeling all that energy and loving him and departing from sin. How many of you recall in Genesis, don't turn to it, but Genesis chapter 39, when um, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph? Do you remember that? And she said, come on and lie with me. You know what he said? Get a hold of this people. Number one, I would sin against my God. Number two, I would sin against Potiphar. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. And that's what he was saying. Number one, if I do this wicked thing, I would sin against my God. He was loving his God. Number two, if I do this wicked thing, I'll sin against Potiphar. And he's, he's put me in trust of everything that he has here except you because you belong to him. And the Bible says I'll not covet another man's wife. So he loved his neighbor. You see that? As himself. He was fulfilling the commandment of God. And the Bible says that he ran. He got himself out. He ran away from that. Now I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. To show, scripturally, that if people think that they can be forgiven or that they're going to have it right with God down the road some years in the future while in the meantime they're going to set their heart attitude, their, their emotions and all that upon the things of the flesh. Beloved, it's, it's important that we understand that God is not mocked and what a man soweth the same shall he also reap. And if we sow love in our hearts toward God, we're going to reap love from God. If we sow love in our emotions toward God, we're going to receive love in our emotions from God. If we sow loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to receive love. We're going to reap love from our neighbors. They're going to love us. And just going to set that thing off in such a way that we're just surrounded by an environment of love. But if we don't do what God said and we're trying to find a way out of keeping His commandments and walking in His statutes, His laws, and His judgments, then, beloved, please listen. If we have the attitude within our heart, the motive within our heart, the wrong intention within our heart, and the wrong purpose within our heart that says this, you know, I can, I can rob a bank because God will forgive me for robbing a bank. Well, then the heart attitude is all wrong, like I said, before, during, and after. And even though somewhere down the road, if you could ever get to a place of repentance, yes, God would forgive if you ever get to that place. But the thing is, if we maintain that attitude within our lives... If we, if we hold to those motives and attitudes and purposes and intentions within our hearts, you know what Jesus says He'll do? Please look, let's look at these very carefully. Verse 42, Matthew 24. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord cometh, doth come. But know this. If Jesus said know it, what are we to do? Know it. That if the goodman of the house had known in the watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not allowed his house to be broken up. The house represents your life. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. 
Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom the Lord hath made rule over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him rule over his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, say in his heart, our heart is to be set on God. We're to love Him with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our emotions, with our, our body. We're to love God. But here, a servant of the Most High God can say from his heart. Well, what does he say from his heart? My Lord's not coming yet. I've got lots of time to rob banks, to ha commit adultery, fornication, to get a divorce, and to do all these things. Listen, if he says it from his heart, not if he does it, if he says it from his heart, if his heart attitude, if his heart purpose, if his heart intention, if his heart motive, if all these things are represented inside that person's heart, that person has a major problem with God. And then begins, a person then will begin to do it after he has that developed within his heart. If he says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunken. In other words, to get involved in doing things that people that are out there in the world do. Doing things that I said that you should not do as a Christian. Doing things that I've commanded you against doing, not to do. Doing things out there that you should not be doing as a born-again, spirit-filled, blood-washed child of God. If you begin to have that attitude of heart, that intention in your heart, the purpose of heart, the motive of heart, if you'll say that from your heart and then things will begin to happen, here's what he says. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. He will come in a day when that person is not looking for him. In an hour that he's not aware of. Yeah, you can go off and you can rob a bank and then you can ask God to forgive you if you truly have repentance. If you don't, you're not forgiven. But if you truly have repentance, yes, he'll forgive you. But, but then again, a week later you'll do this and a week later you'll do that. And each time we do that in, in a violation of God's will and don't set our heart upon Him and our affection upon Him, we get further and further and further and further and further away from God in our spiritual makeup. The man on the inside, it becomes harder to serve Him. It becomes harder to please Him. It becomes harder not to rob the bank, harder not to lie, harder not to cheat, harder not to steal, harder not to covet my neighbor's wife, harder not, harder not to covet his goods and all that. It becomes more difficult and more difficult and more difficult as the days go by because the heart attitude has not been dealt with. Do you see that? The affections, the heart attitude are not properly placed. They're not in the proper condition. Now here's the guarantee. You ready for an ironclad guarantee? This is a frightening one. I don't want any part of it to be quite frank. But he said for the person that doesn't set his heart attitude upon me, whether it's adultery, divorce, murder, whatever the case is, lying, cheating, stealing, and all that. Listen. He has my guarantee. I'll come at an hour he's not aware of. When you're not looking. There may be times that you're ready in between, but I guarantee you I'll come when you're not looking. You say, why can he be so hard? Look at the next verse. And shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Write it down, beloved. A hypocrite is an actor under an assumed character. In the Greek, that's what this means. It is an actor under an assumed character, a stage player. And you know what that means? It means it does not play to pay to play act with God. It does not pay to play act with God. It does not pay. God is not mocked. What a man sows into his heart, the same shall he also reap. God will not be mocked. If I have intentions presumptuously to sin against my God, then something is wrong and something is lacking inside my heart. If I go and fulfill that and actually do it, I'm getting further away from God. If I make an attempt to try to get back to God, it'll be much more difficult for me because something is still lacking in my heart that lacked while I was doing it and before I did it. And until that thing changes, and I guarantee you that when it changes, a course of action also will change and that person will live right before God and not be moved to the left nor to the right. They'll walk down the straight and narrow. It is the heart attitude that is wrong. It is the lacking of the spirit. It is lacking of understanding and heart before God that causes people to think like this. They're turned over to a reprobate mind where they think they're going to get it right with God someday. But Jesus said that kind of heart attitude leaves me no choice but to come when that person is not looking for me. When he's not aware of. Now I want you to see something in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18 in connection with, with this. Because, beloved, you know what God's speaking to my heart right now? He is saying, I want my people to set their heart and their affections upon me. Don't be alarmed by what's taking place within the body of Christ. I preach Wednesday night by the Spirit of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. And they will not. And it doesn't matter how many ministries fall. It doesn't matter how many people fall or fail. A thousand will fall on our side. Ten thousand on our right hand. But you know what? To the one who sets his heart, affection, and motives upon him, that person, the gates of hell will not prevail against. We are the church of the living God, a blood-washed church, a spotless church without spot, without wrinkle, before a loving, living, caring God. And it's time that the the true church awaken and rise up and stand before God and say, look, we're going to fight against sin, stand against sin, resist temptation, and serve a loving, living uh, God with every department of our being, with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, with our might, with our intellect, with our finances, and with our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We're going to serve a living God like never before. Hallelujah. That's what we're doing. We're not going to go under. We're going over the top, beloved. Hallelujah. Victory is ours. He's caused us to be victorious, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus, more than conquerors, overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and by the Word that's in our testimony. That's what He's done for us. Chapter 2, Revelation, beginning in verse 18. People had that attitude back there on the day, the day that Jesus appeared to John over there on the Isle of Patmos. Represented were different heart attitudes among these church people. Please listen. Heart attitudes. Not just doing things that were wrong. Robbing banks, lying, cheating, stealing, coveting, all that. Listen. Heart attitudes were wrong. And because they were wrong, people were wrong in their fellowship with God. And until they got things right, God couldn't do anything for them. And that's why Jesus 
gave them a warning to the Apostle John and said, write and tell these people their heart, motives, attitudes, and desires are wrong. Their intentions of their heart are wrong. Look at verse 18. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes likened to a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Would you want to argue with him? No. He said, write and tell that pastor of that church down there. I know your works. I know your, your love. I know your service. I know your faith. I know your patience. I know your works. And the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because you have allowed that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Those who think they can get away with these things, they are seduced by a wrong spirit. And that's what he's saying. And you've allowed this. That's what they were doing. They're committing fornication and they were seduced into doing it and thought their hearts were right with God. Oh, of course, they probably said, forgive me when they got done. But eventually they got to a place that their hearts were wrong before God. And they weren't right before God. And Jesus had to appear to John and tell him, look, write this to the church. Look at the next verse, 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. People start out, yeah, I'll repent. Well, I, you mark it down. If you, won't repent, if you won't repent just for the thought, you're not going to repent for the act. Because once you start in, in, in getting involved in the pleasures of sin for a season, you might be like the prodigal son and enjoy it for a while. The Bible says he finally came to his senses and came back to God, but many don't come back to their senses and don't come back to God, and they're turned over to a reprobate mind like this person's about to be. Look at the next verse. Behold, I'll cast her to a bed with them that commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins... And tries the heart. Talking about the heart, not just the fornication, but it's the heart and the mind or the soul. The heart, the spirit of a man, and also the will and emotions of a man. That's what I try. That's what I judge. Because if the heart was right toward God, if our love was set upon, set upon Him, then He said those things would not occur. They would not take place. See, God's not mocked. We can't play games with God. We can't play act with God because every play actor with God is, as far as he's concerned, a hypocrite. And the hypocrite, as far as he's concerned, if he continues in his hypocrisy, will be what? When Jesus comes, he won't be aware that, you, that he's come. Jesus made, made note of the fact that, look, I'll come exactly when you're not looking for me. Now, would you want to have that kind of relationship with him? Absolutely not. And he says what? I try the reins and the hearts. I search the reins and the hearts. And I'll give to every one of you according to your works. Now let's look over to chapter 3 and verse 13. He's not writing this to the world. You understand? He's writing this to the believer. People within the body of Christ. People within the church. You say, but that was the church of old. No, that's the church of today. No new church. Since the day that Jesus was raised up from the dead, there's no new church. Same church. We are the church. We are the people of the living God. Whose hearts, motives, attitudes, desires must align with what His are. Who are committed to love Him with our soul, our spirit, our soul, our body, mind, will, and emotions. That's who we are. No matter who we are, that's who we are and what we are, have to be committed to. 
Verse 13, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To the churches. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the, uh, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that thou art neither hot nor cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, I have need of nothing. Knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? I counsel thee. Oh, you want a good counselor? Do you want to have some good counsel from a living God? He says, I'm going to give you some good, solid counsel, some good godly advice right now. And the same attitude existed here. Their hard attitudes were wrong. Lukewarm attitude says... I'll do it and God will forgive me. As a matter of fact, I had somebody just tell me that the other day. You mean to tell me that we're saved by grace? We're saved by grace. What a person does after he's saved doesn't really matter. Is that right? Oh, I've had more than one tell me that. And I don't want to tell you what background they came from, but, but the attitude was this. It doesn't matter what I do after I'm saved. Once I'm saved, it doesn't really matter what I do because, you see, God is, is God of all love and mercy and God who loves me will forgive me all the time. Oh, is that right? You see, what's wrong, beloved, is the hard attitude. God judges the hard attitude. The hard attitude. That is something that's being said from his heart or her heart. And that's what God judges. judges. He tries the reins. He searches the heart and judges the reins, tries the reins. What's coming out of here? Is what he's saying. Oh, yes, we all may fall. But you know what? That attitude is different from somebody who, who is entrapped and ensnared by the devil and falls into something. There's an attitude that exists among people in the body of Christ that says, it doesn't matter what I do. God will forgive me. That attitude before God. May I use this term? Stinks. That attitude before God stinks. God says, Jesus says, that's lukewarm. That's lukewarm. And he says, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Here's some wise counsel, he says. Look at the next, uh, verse 18. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And what is that? That's being rich in faith toward God. Our faith is tried as of the fire. It's refined like fine gold. Beloved, Jesus is saying, you better get yourself some rich faith toward God, first of all. That you may be rich, rich in faith. And white raiment that you may be clothed. That's purity. Clothed in purity before God with His glory, with humility. Why? That the shame of your nakedness doesn't appear. And thirdly, he says, I counsel you to anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. That is the oil of the Holy Spirit of our God giving back the vision and the revelation of the love that you should have for God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's telling these people here. You're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. I'd rather you be cold, not even know God. That way you can come in and be born again. I'd rather you be hot, on fire for God. Hallelujah. With a Pentecostal fire rising up inside you that you turn away from everything and anything that even is iffy in your life. <laughs> That's what he's saying. 
Well, might it be wrong? Well, then just run away from it. Don't play games with God. Don't play act with God is what he's saying. That's what a hypocrite does. Get the vision of the love you should have for God that would cause you to rather run into hell itself than to sin against your God. That's an attitude we should have. It shouldn't be, can I be forgiven for adultery? Can I be forgiven for robbing the bank? You know what our attitude should be? What can I do to prevent from committing adultery? What can I do to prevent from stealing? What can I do to prevent? Hallelujah. That's what our attitude should be. And if it's not there, there's a lacking in the heart. If there's a lacking in the heart, you're not right with God. If you're not right with God, you're in danger. You're going down the wrong road. That leads to destruction. Look at the next verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Go to chapter 2. True, he, repent, he says, which is true repentance. We'll see that in a second here. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. Remember the, the, the book that Paul wrote? The letter to the church at Ephesus? Well, they didn't take heed too much. You know, you look at that letter and you think, well, these people got it made. Paul wrote them a letter. You know what? They didn't do anything different than people do today. Sounds good, looks good, but didn't act on it. And Jesus told them, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and how you can't bear them which are evil, and has tried them which are apostles and, they, and, and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne in patience, and for my name's sake labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you've left your first what? There was a time your heart was set upon me. Your affection was set upon me. But you've left that. You've walked away from that. And he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. He wasn't talking about the things they were doing as functioning as a New Testament church. He was talking about the fact that there was a lacking on the inside of them. They no longer had the zeal toward God that, that caused them to set their love up upon Him and, and to, to be motivated by the fire of the Spirit of God that is within Him to, to keep His commandments, to, do, to, to keep His laws, to do His will, and to do all that. They, they lost that, that fervor. On the inside, they lost all that. And he said, you're operating, but the love is gone. It's not there. Repent. Remember from what heights you fall in the heights of divine love. And what does he say do? Do the first works over. Or else I'll come unto thee quickly and I'll remove your candlestick out of its place except you repent. Except you repent. Everyone say repent. Now I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 and we'll do our best to, to conclude this. Matthew chapter 3, because we can't leave it hanging there. That word we use so lightly and don't understand the, its depth or its importance. To repent, or true repentance, is a part of our working out our salvation with fear and trembling before God. It is something that affects not our actions only, but it affects the very heart and soul of a person. It is something that makes up the difference, you see, here on the Spirit, in the Spirit, where the lacking once was. And it has to take place. If it doesn't take place, the lack will always be there. The thing that we lacked that gave us that attitude to sin against God will still be there, is what he's saying, if you don't truly repent 
and there won't be any deliverance from that. And it will always lead you astray. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 5, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet or suitable for repentance. And this word for repentance means this, a real change of mind and heart attitude towards sin and its cause, not merely its consequences. A real heart attitude change of mind and spirit towards sin and its cause, not merely its consequence. In Matthew 27, verse 3, I want us to turn there. We need to see the Scripture. Judas betrayed the Lord. Judas allowed Satan to drop thoughts into his mind that he dwelt upon until they entered into his heart. He can he continued along those lines until he actually disobeyed God and walked against his will and plan, walked out against it. But finally, one day, Judas saw that what he did was wrong. And Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented, underlined it. This word means to regret, to have deep remorse, of the consequence of sin, but not its cause. It is never used as genuine repentance to God. It's being sorry, but for the wrong reasons. People think that, some people think he got saved. This man didn't get saved. This is not true repentance. And you know, Christians can be guilty of the same thing. This is not true repentance. He repented... And look what he did. He brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I've sinned in that I betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see thou to it. The word is never used for genuine, true repentance toward God. He was sorry, but sorry for the wrong reasons. Sorry for the consequences, not truly sorry for the cause. And I want you to see how God judges that. Go on back to the book of Judges and we'll see how God judges that kind of repentance. In the book of Judges. Chapter 10, verse 10. Verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, and the Amalekites and the Maonites and did oppress you? And you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand, yet you have forsaken me. You have served other gods, the God of your flesh, the God of your own self, gratification and pleasure and desire. You did what you wanted to do 
Now notice this. Wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of tribulation. And the Lord and the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. See, the first time they didn't say it from their heart. Oh, they, they were sorry, but they were sorry for the consequence. They weren't sorry from their heart. They did not have true heartfelt repentance. They didn't bring forth fruit suitable to show a living God, I truly have repented. I've changed the course of action. I'm doing what your will is. Look at what it says. We have sinned. That is identification. And you know, you can identify with that before you ever go out there to commit it. And if you identify that it is sin, then why would anybody want to commit it? If robbing a bank is a sin, why would you want to commit it if your heart is right with God? If murder is a sin, why would you want to commit it if your heart was right toward God? If adultery is a sin, all these things, if it's a sin, you wouldn't want to commit it. But because something is lacking inside the heart toward God, the person will go out and do it. And after they've done it, they still haven't gotten the heart right. Still, they're lacking something toward God. Let's go on. I have sinned. I identify myself with the fact that that is sin. Now we humble ourselves before you and we realize that we are guilty to be judged of and by you. We're not making anything right. As far as we're concerned, we're wrong. We identify ourselves as being wrong. We throw ourselves upon your mercy. Do what you want. Judge us. Whatever the judgment is, we'll take it. A good, humble attitude toward God. Next. Deliver us only, we pray this day. That is from the power of... Not only from the problem. Beloved, let's, let's note this. Our deliverance should not just be from the power or, or from, the, from the problem. You know, the consequence, the thing that had happened. You know, people, because uh, they sin, this happens or that happens. Well, the Lord deliver us out of this trouble. No. That's not the only thing. What they're saying is, Lord, deliver us from the power of sin. Deliver us from temptation. Get us out of evil and the influences and protect us from all that. You see, they began to focus in on that. They started to realize these are the things that are most important. Deliver us from that. And then he goes on. We pray thee this day. Next verse. And they put away the strange gods from among them. Here we have a change of heart attitude and making restitution. A demonstration of true humility, a demonstration of true repentance, a change of heart attitude, a change deep within their lives. Put away those things. Make restitution and put away those things and get them out of my life once and for all. I'm not even going to play act anymore. I'm not going to play with these things. It's too dangerous to play with these things. And then you ready for the last one? And served the Lord. And served the Lord. They changed their course of action. And they said, now we will do your will. Now we will set out to be obedient to what your will is. That's bringing forth fruit of repentance. I identify myself with that as being sin and with my sin. I see that. I surrender myself to you 
I know I'm guilty, but have mercy upon me. Thirdly, deliver me not only from the consequence, but deliver me from the power of that sin and make the change in my heart. Transform me from glory to glory that deals with the lack that was in my spirit and soul that caused me to do wrong or anticipate doing wrong. Change. You change your heart, mind, and attitude because of the transformation. You make any restitution that needs to be made and you go on loving God and loving people and finally serving Him, saying, this is your will. I'll walk in it. I'll do it. All these things take place in the heart of a man. See, we can see the fruit. That's the action. We can see it out here. But, beloved, unless it's happening down here, it's not true repentance. And that's why God says, I'm not going to deliver you. You go ahead. Let your gods that you've been serving deliver you. You want deliverance from that, from that corrupt mind? Why don't you let adultery, why don't you let the spirit of lust heal you? That's what he's saying. Now, beloved, I know this is tough, but you know what? It's needed. I said it's needed in the body of Christ. It is absolutely vitally necessary that we understand these things. He's a God of judgment and justice as well as a God of mercy and forgiveness. But it's needed. It's needed. You want, you want deliverance? That's, see, the first time their hearts weren't in it. And he said, you want deliverance from that problem you're facing? Go ahead and call upon the spirit of lust and see what it will do for you. You got yourself involved in all this wrongdoing because you lied. Call upon the father of lies and let him deliver you out of your problem. Why was God being that way toward them? Because their hearts weren't in true repentance. The lacking was in the spirit and soul. Their hearts were not truly repenting toward God. Then finally they recognized that. They turned it all around. And you know what? Godly sorrow began to work repentance. I need to close with this last scripture if you, if you, have them, if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I believe it's 7. Let's see here. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at verse 8. For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. And though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry. Not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. 
Let's note this. There are three sorrows. Number one, human sorrow. That's not to be repented of. Paul's regretting for writing so severely to these people. He says, I, I wrote a letter. It was severe. What I said to you, what I wrote to you in words. But you know what? I don't, I don't repent for that. I'm sorry that I had to do it, but I don't repent. You see the human sorrow that he had? Which is good. But he said, I'm not going to repent for that human sorrow because what I had to say to you was for your own good. You needed it. And what it did, it produced in you godly sorrow. Now notice this. Verse 9. I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. True repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh people of God. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Not what a man says with his mouth. It is something on the inside that recognizing that there's a lack between myself and God. Something is missing inside me. And because Paul pointed it out, he, he showed them they're wrong, and godly sorrow began to immediately work repentance to what? Now notice this, verse 10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world, the way people say they're sorry, when they don't really mean it, when they've not dealt with the man on the inside, that kind of sorrow does not work salvation, but that kind of sorrow works death. See, repentance is a big word when it comes to the things of God. And we can lightly play it. We can play it with God and very lightly say, I repent of that, Lord, and just do it the next day. I repent of that, Lord. And you know what? When that happens, we need to really look inside ourselves and find out where our love is, where our affections are. Do we really love God? Are we really serving Him? Are we really doing His will? Why would I think this way? Why is my mind acting this way? I don't want to get away with things before a living God. I want to learn how to get right with the living God. I'm not looking for a way of escape or a way of out. I'm looking for a way to stay in. Hallelujah. Godly sorrow works repentance that produces salvation that is not to be repented of. And here's what it did inside their heart. Look at what happened. Verse 11. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort... Number one, what carefulness it worked within you is what he's saying. What carefulness it wrought in you. What does he mean? It means careful to be obedient to do what the will of God is for your life. It made you careful to be obedient to God. Secondly, what clearing of yourselves. That's talking about the man on the inside. Clearing of yourself of all guilt of all impurities, of that which you lacked on the inside of your spirit. That's what it did to you, is what he's saying. It cleared you yourself of the guilt, of the shame, of the inferiority, and all that that you experienced on the man in the inside. Yea, what indignation. What does he mean? Wrath and hatred towards sin. I hate sin. 
I'm disgusted with sin. I don't want to be involved in sin. I don't want to even ask the question, is robbing wrong? Is adultery wrong? I run away from it. I hate it. I'm disgusted with it. I don't want to talk about sexual immorality. I can't stand it. I detest it. It's wrong in the sight of God. I love God. I set my feelings, my emotions, everything upon a living God. I don't want to have anything to do with that stuff. I hate sin. That's what he's saying. What indignation it wrought inside you. Yea, what fear. What does he mean? Fear. Oh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It wrought a godly fear inside you that made you walk upright on your toes before a loving, living, caring God of all justice and judgment. It wrought all that inside you. Yea, what vehement desire to do good before God. A desire to have power with God. A desire to have the wisdom of God and the might of God and the ability of God represented inside your life. What desire, what yearning on the inside of your spirit to have a fulfilled life in God. It wrought that in you, he said. And then go on and it says, Yea, what zeal. Oh, the zeal of God began to consume them. That's why that back there the Israelites got it right and they began to serve God, it said. They began with great zeal to serve Him from their hearts. As our brother said, what is important in life? What really is important in life? I had everything. I didn't come into this world with anything. And, and it's obvious we're not going to leave the world with anything. And those things, they're valuable and important when we're here upon this earth. But you know what? What really matters is where are we going when we depart from this world? Where are we going? Where are we going to spend our eternal destination at? Where are we going to be throughout the eternal ages? If we understand that we want to be in His presence, then we've got to have a zeal toward God, a consuming desire to live for Him, to do His will, to follow His plan, to fulfill His purposes, to have right intentions within our heart. We've got to have the zeal of God consuming us until we're just a fire, a fire before His presence, a fire before the lost and dying world, a fire burning brightly in a world of darkness. That's what it worked in them. And finally, revenge. How do you overcome evil? With good. Revenge. You want to get back at evil? You start doing this and you'll overcome evil with good. Look at, the, look at the, the, the next part of that then. In all things you are proved yourselves to be clear. You know what? It's a good feeling to be clear inside. I said it's a good feeling to be clear inside. To be clean inside. To be pure inside. Let's all stand before God. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience 
God bless.